and welcome to this week's episode of Best Camp of My Life, a podcast about MMA. Kind of, but not really, but kind of. I'm your host, Fernanda Prates, unless you are Jason Momoa in a last-ditch attempt at rekindling our relationship. In which case, I already told you, Jason, you are only allowed contact with my lawyers. We had a fun time, and I'll never look at coconut oil and wooden spoons the same way again, but that was just one weekend. We don't share the same interests. Frankly, I'm put off by your clinginess, and if you keep insisting on making contact, I will have to take legal action. And yes, that includes sending me all those diamond-encrusted vintage action figures and swirling around in a helicopter while singing Taylor Dwayne's Love Will Lead You Back. Seriously, just have some self-respect, man. For those of you who are not Jason Momoa and therefore know how to take no for an answer, I'm your host, Fernanda Prates, and you may speak to me directly. Except you technically can't, because this is not an interactive medium, but you get what I meant. In fact, interaction is at the very heart of what we're doing here today, considering the theme of today's episode is questions and answers part two. Yay. I must admit, I always feel like I'm kind of cheating when I do these episodes because I feel like the success of them has more to do with the quality of your questions than anything I do, really. But looking at it from a different perspective, the reason why I get such good questions is because I reach the right people. So really, the credit for your great questions can ultimately be attributed to my ability to cultivate a good Twitter circle. And therefore, I am totally not a financial and intellectual failure with nothing of substance to share with the world. Okay, dad? Also... My latest COVID test still came back positive and therefore I'm still technically sick and therefore I'm totally allowed to cheat. That's just like science. Also, it's not cheating if it's fun. That's totally also science and stuff. In any case, here it is. The answers to the questions you so kindly sent me. Enjoy them or don't. Just please learn your lesson from Jason Momoa and refrain from falling in love with me. Let's just all avoid the hassle. First question comes from Grizzly. Uh, their Twitter handle is just a bunch of numbers and letters, so I will not read them. Um, sorry, Grizzly. Would you rather fight 10 squirrel-sized Amanda Nunes's or one... I'm pluralizing the Nunes here. Uh, I don't know if, if that's what I'm supposed to be doing, but I'm taking artistic liberties with this podcast. Uh, would you rather fight 10 squirrel-sized Amanda Nunes's or one Amanda Nunes-sized squirrel? Uh, very important questions. I, I like to see that my followers are really, you know, in tune with the important issues of our time. Um, to answer it, I will take the one Amanda Nunes-sized squirrel for a few reasons. I feel like... With a bigger contact surface, there's at least a chance I can land one lucky shot. Uh, there's also the fact that I'll know where the attacks are coming from, which might not help me that much given I have the reflexes of a chlamydia-ridden koala bear. But, you know, there's that false sense of security um, and confidence, I think, is, plays a big part in any fight, even, including fights with uh, giant squirrels, I guess. I also tend to get a little overwhelmed when dealing with small repetitive tasks, uh, meaning I just avoid them. So I'll probably just lose my patience and give up after like the third squirrel. But mostly I feel like I'm not really the fight of my life, like fight for my life type of person. Like I will for sure be the first one to go in the event of any major catastrophe and or alien invasion. So 
I'm just kind of cool with whatever puts me out of my misery quicker. Like, am I most likely to die with big newness squirrel than I am with the tiny newness squirrels? Probably, but it's the least time-consuming option, and I guess I'm just at that point in my life. Question number two comes from Brian, with a Y, at underscore Illmatic22. If you had to recast all the kids on Cobra Kai and replace them with MMA fighters, who gets what role? I had to give that one some thought. Um, some would argue too much thought, an unreasonable amount of thought, but uh, it turns out I have a lot of free time lately. Here's what I came up with. First up, Miguel, Brandon Moreno. Uh, I know what you're thinking. I include Brandon in pretty much everything, but A, can you blame me? And B, this one was actually my boyfriend's suggestion. He just presented a solid enough case. Uh, both Brandon and Miguel are family-oriented characters. Both are generally wholesome. Neither looks necessarily menacing, but they can fuck you up. Both have their time in the spotlight, but know when to step away from it and let the rest of the cast shine. And I guess both just have a little twinkle in their eye. Uh, Sam, I cast as Rose Namayunas. I think that just the arc makes sense. She, you know, overcomes trauma. She projects vulnerability, like emotions, but she's still very tough. She does, she does that in a very tough way. She looks very sort of sweet and unassuming, but can and will uh, cause some damage. So I see the parallels, which leads me to Tori. Tori was a tough one to cast. And I must preface this by saying that unlike Tori, uh, the fighter that I chose doesn't straight up suck. Uh, the choice was mostly made because it made sense within the narrative. So I went with Joanna Ying Jajek. Um, she's determined to get into Sam's skin. She can, let's face it, be quite abrasive. She can be um, a bit of a bully, yeah, sometimes, but there's ultimately no denying her talent and skills. Uh, Hawk, to me, was the easiest one. Colby Covington, um, straight up bully, very gimmicky, clearly trying way too hard. Uh, but you know that deep down, it all comes from a place of insecurity. Like all they really need is a hug, maybe a warm pretzel. So that was my reasoning. Uh, feel free to disagree with it. I just don't really care because those are my choices. Um, moving on to Dimitri, a personal favorite. If you've listened to the episode in which I, well, myself and Rodrigo, my boyfriend, um, review Cobra Kai season three, you'll know that. If you haven't listened to it, Go back and listen to it, because what else are you going to do with your time? Um, Dimitri is Jan Blahowicz. Like, quite unassuming in a way. Uh, obviously, Blahowicz is a little more physically imposing, but I guess generally the aura. Um, quirky sense of humor. Starts off as a background character, but ultimately gets his chance to shine and endure us all. And both are also the fucking coolest. And then lastly, because I'm I'm not casting all the kids, sorry, but um, the main the main ones. The last one is Robbie. It was another tough casting call, but I went with and hear me out, Harry Cejudo, due to reasons of my man. You know we know you've got a chip on your shoulder, but at some point you gotta let that shit go. Like seriously, that cannot be good for your skin. Moving on to the third 
question of the day. And by the way, if I sound a little winded to you, it's because I am, um, as you know, because I keep talking about it all the time. It's really become part of my personality. I uh, have COVID. I'm recovering. I'm mostly okay, but I'm getting that winded feeling sometimes. So be kind on me. Third question comes from Rodrigo del Campo at Rod del Campo, also known as Boo Boo, uh, occasional best camp host, uh, also known as my man's. What are your feelings on formerly bearded men with mustaches asking for a friend? This is Rodrigo's way of making our tragedy public and letting everyone know that he has shaved his beard. I have so far remained able to love him, but we really only see each other with masks now. So this is still very much a developing story. Fourth question comes from Brian Martin at the B Martin. Where is Benil Dariush in your nicest fighters in the sport rankings? And did he move up after last night? And by last night, he means uh, Saturday, uh, Benil lost. And I straight up didn't watch the full event. I only caught highlights because I was having an existential crisis. It happens a lot, too much, one would argue, uh, in my life. But yes, and um, he's apparently said some heated things after the fight and went back on it and apologized that he didn't need to say those things about the matchmakers and you know Benio Darius being Benio Darius just a very very nice and and docile man I would guess I don't know him um I'm going to answer this question in my love language aka dog analogies so bear with me for a minute as I complete my reasoning Benio Darius is a schnauzer now, you might be thinking, why a schnauzer? And that, my friend, just helps me further prove my point. Schnauzers are cute as hell. Schnauzers have the most stylish little mustaches. Schnauzers exude poise and ancient wisdom. And yet, they keep being left out of the conversation. Was this a totally unnecessary preamble to two otherwise very direct questions? Yes. Does my need to constantly make highly specific analogies to get a point across mask bigger communication issues? Probably. But I was getting at is that, yes, Darius uh, ranks highly among the nicest fighters in the sport. I would dare say after Saturday, he may have just cracked the top five. Next question comes from Rafael Garcia at rgarcia underscore sports. What's your new favorite t-shirt? Have you gotten any good ones recently? I love that you only like send me like questions that I'm actually like interested in answering. Sometimes it's like highly technical stuff that I just not equipped to answer. But this one, this one is right up my alley because it's literally about my life. Uh, my favorite subject, as you may have noticed. Uh, for those who don't know, uh, just to contextualize the question, I'm generally bad at collecting things due to the whole being lazy and having no follow through aspect of my personality. So the closest thing I have to a collection is my beloved t-shirts. Uh, I haven't really gotten a new one in a while, but I'd say the most beautiful recent edition is done. Arnold is numero uno, uh, shirt that I stare at like longingly every night before I go to bed for the uneducated heathens who have not yet watched a 1977 documentary pumping iron, um, about, Arnold Schwarzenegger with Lou Ferrigno and stuff, uh, fix that. And you too will worship my beautiful t-shirt. Next question comes from Kairos at, at Kairos MMA. 
If you are not following him yet, I advise you fix that because he's putting out some really cool content. Funny guy. And he always asks me like low-key, super deep questions. Um, this one is like, I'm going to get way, way existential. So brace yourselves. Um, what is the most valuable lesson you have learned in the past 12 months? So yeah, you might want to write that down. Okay. Build nothing, wish for nothing, aspire to nothing. In the wise words of one George Costanza, I don't want hope. Hope is killing me. My dream is to become hopeless. Um, which, of course, is a joke, just because that's my personal motto. It doesn't mean it's right for everyone. I would argue, in fact, it is right for no one. And as a general rule, you should refrain from listening to me and mimicking any of my patterns and behaviors. But say I was capable of learning lessons instead of taking any minor setback as a loud and definitive sign to just give the fuck up. Um, I know that's going to sound like some hippie bullshit, but... I would say that the main lesson for me was that we need to really uh, nourish, nourish, that's how I say, nourish our inner worlds. Again, sounds very hippie-ish, but I just think we're all guilty at some level of trying to like find outwardly solutions to inner problems. And that can be very easy when you have all these distractions at our disposal, but I think this past year has really forced us to reckon with ourselves in entirely new ways. Um, and I do have the impression that people who never made it a habit to practice introspection might have struggled even harder at a particularly weird time in which so many people can relate to our struggles and yet it's so hard to actually communicate. I, for one have constantly found myself in a position where I knew I had family and friends to reach out to, but sort of hesitated because I knew they already had so much on their plates, which is not to say that you shouldn't reach out to people, quite the opposite. If there's one thing I was reminded of through all of this is how many people out there are really willing and, and really eager to listen, but that I personally benefited a lot from the ability to ask some questions to myself and to be at ease with my own company. Uh, it's weird for me to say that in a way because this was actually the first time in my life when I actually shared a living space with a partner. But I think I also realized how important it was that both of us had our own inner spaces when it came to making a somewhat claustrophobic arrangement work. Like we had to really rely on each other for a lot and at the same time respect our space a lot. Um Basically, just try to be at peace with the contents of your own head because you need to rely on them eventually to get through shit. Um, I don't know if that made any sense, but that's kind of where I am right now. And also, just set barriers that will make your online shopping experience a little more challenging. The time it takes for you to get up to find a credit card or to fill out the address info might be the time it takes for you to reconsider like glittery and cold boots that will fill up your closet but not the void in your soul um not that i have any experience with that of course um just you know speaking for a friend next question comes from probably my biggest supporter i was gonna say after my mom but my mom like doesn't even speak english and doesn't listen to the podcast so 
he might just take the cake there. Uh, Fighting with myself podcast at FWM underscore pod. Um, which MMA fighter do you think could make it the furthest in a season of drag race? And which drag race contestant could have the most success in MMA? I'm just going to present this one without comment because it's just good feeling and you'll either get it or you won't. But Johnny Walker and Roxy Andrews, respectively. Alfredo Bush at A Bushito, A-B-U-S-H-I-T-O. It's very challenging for me, by the way, to spell things in English quickly. So I'm unreasonably <laughs> proud of myself <laughs> for my quickness there. Like, it's tough times. We have to really cling to the small uh, accomplishments in life. Uh, but yes, Alfredo asked me, how about your advanced tutorial in cursing in Spanish? How do you feel about it? Okay, I wouldn't call it advanced. I'm still a beginner. Uh, but what I have found is that adding pinche before words really goes a long way. Like pinche chair, like when we're doing workouts, pinche plancha, like it just really adds emphasis. Uh, depending on your inflection, no mames can be very versatile. Estás bien pendejo is like poetry to my ears, but I just really haven't had a chance to use it in a real life setting yet. And I've also been really trying to get the timing of a la verga. Um, I keep asking like Rodrigo for, to, to translate like what the words literally mean. And it's all like sexual. It's a lot like in Brazil, like they just say sexual things as curse, curse words. because you know, it ends up not having sort of that meaning anymore, but I love it. Like just say a la verga with like intention. It sounds poetic. Like it sounds beautiful. If I didn't know what it meant, I would think like it's a love proclamation type thing, which it could be, but that's a subject for another podcast. Um, the one shame is like this whole situation because the whole time I've been here in Mexico, we've been confined. Uh, so it's really limited my opportunities to test out my cursing knowledge and actual people, uh, which is unfortunate because I can't really tell where I'm at. But it is fortunate because I have yet to be, I don't know, kicked out of establishments or, or punched by people. So there's that. Next one comes from Bad Barbie 69 uh, also the, one of the big, uh, I don't know if I'm, I'm the captain of the Prachis pirates, but one of the, my big Twitter supporters really appreciated, uh, at MMA catfish. Um, his avatar is going to make sense once I read out the question. Why do you think MMA fans are so basic and target for catfish accounts? And what do these accounts get out of it? Seems they don't often ask for money, and some of them spend months or more with these weird-ass sock accounts. Also, yes, this name slash Avi is to make fun of suckers. That's like a lot of words within the character limit of Twitter. So uh, kudos for, for being this proficient with words. I feel like there's a specific situation being referenced here that I'm not aware of. Um, so it's hard for me to comment directly on it. I feel like... He was just trying to really get something off his chest here with the question. And I hope that heals, helps you with your healing process, my friend. Uh, but in all honesty, like thinking, speaking more broadly, I feel like there are a few layers to the motivations of a catfisher, especially a catfisher that doesn't really get anything tangible from it, like financial compensation. Like I feel like these people could probably 
benefit from like professional counseling or a healthier habit like kettlebells or crying themselves to sleep, you know, like the rest of us. But in general, when I think about the kind of person who needs to create an alternative personality to swindle people online, I feel mostly bad for them. I clearly hate myself and I'm still making it work with this shitty personality. So how bad does it need to get for you to adopt an entirely new one? Uh, as for whether the MMA community is more accessible to those things, I don't really know. I would argue it's a largely male and young and therefore horny demographic. So maybe that has something to do with it. Next one comes from Tim at Timobis, um, whom I love, by the way. Uh, follow Tim and worship everything he does on Bloody Elbow because it's all amazing. Can you recast T2 Judgment Day with fighters, please? I've actually, I've always, first of all, amazing, perfect question. Um, but also, like, I've always compared Valentina Chevchenko to Sarah Connor. So this would have been, like, my quick choice. But I'm going to change things up a bit. I mean, the world is ending. Why not take some chances? As perfect and amazing and splendorous uh, as Sarah Connor is, she is still human. And therefore, still not the perfect fit for Valentino. T-1000, on the other hand, he's built to be a killing machine. And therefore, in my view, more adequate. For Sarah, I'm casting someone who is also pretty close to indestructible, but also possesses like this understated charisma, a certain je ne sais quoi if you will, and that is Zhang Wiley. For the role of the Terminator, obviously my boy Arnie in the movie, I'm casting Francis Ngannou, who looks scary and would probably need only one hand to end your life, but chooses not to because he's cool like that. Just a rare mix of terrifying power and affability. Uh, not very easy to find. John Connor is a little trickier because he's obviously uh, very cool but can also get on your nerves sometimes, very often. But like in a kind of endearing way, I don't know. I don't know if it's because as a child, like I had a crush on Edward Furlong, so maybe that's why I look at him fondly. But I, I, I went back and forth with this one, but I went with somewhat of a weird pick that I know you might not agree with, um, Alex Caceres. Just, just think about it for a second, okay? Before before disagreeing. Next question comes from Ben Folks, uh, at Ben Folks MMA, my former MMA junkie and the athletic colleague and um, amazing writer. Just don't tell him I said nice things about him because his ego is already out of control. Um, his question is, are you a person or are you like Britain Hart of feeling? I must admit that I had to do some research on that one as watching the bare knuckle event on Friday would have interfered with my 18 daily hours of sleep. And you know, I need that and the steady diet of tears to stay pretty. Having said that, I can confirm that I am indeed a feeling, but don't worry, it's nothing that a shot of penicillin and some topical cream won't clear right up. Next one comes from Dave Y, AKA Bobby Knuckles at TQ Stormrider 6. What's the last concert you went to in the before times? What would be your choice for your next concert? So 
This is another thing that I may have discussed here, but it's a part of my being that I give the future writer of my biography, Hi, Rooks and Gay, the liberty to change because I feel it's both terrible and not conducive with the general context of my personality. Like the fact that I'm weak with pepper, it just doesn't add up. But I don't like concerts. I know that's terrible. That's not a fun thing to say. It's not something I'm particularly proud of. But I just, I hate crowds. I'm no longer at the age where I'm going to stand in line and elbow people to get to the front of the stage. Uh, and if it's to watch something from the back, I'd rather just, I guess, listen at home. So I know, lame. I wish I had an abundance of mosh pit stories to share with you, but the last concert I put any effort into was probably Good Charlotte. Um, and I still have the odd 10 lines from my checkered wristband from it. Having said that, um, like most places and events, if there is alcohol available, I will go. The last concert I went to was probably this British hardcore slash emo band my sister took me to in Toronto. I have no idea who they were. Uh, they weren't particularly good, but the beer was good. So wins, I guess. And two concerts that I wouldn't hesitate to go to simply because I've never been able to see them live is the Foo Fighters and Blink-182. Also, unsexy responses, but I'm just bad at being a music person, okay? Dave, you may have unwittingly touched a nerve there because it's something I've thought to change and never succeeded. I'm a generic music listener, and I guess that's just my lot in life. Next one comes from David Castillo. At David Castillo, AC. First off, good vibes sent and signed. Second, Van Damme has fought plenty of non-fighters in his career, whether it's Raul Julia, Ted Levine, or Lance Harrison. I'm sorry, I don't know who that person is. I probably know their face from watching the Van Damme movies, but um, the name doesn't ring a bell. But anyway, uh, does it depress you that Kevin Bacon never got to be on this list? David, I can confidently say that there was literally not a single moment of my life the life I led previous to this question in which a battle between Van Damme and Kevin Bacon was anywhere near the general vicinity of my brain. Um, not sure if I'm missing anything here, but that's just not a thing I ever put a second of thought into, to be honest. But I now won't be able to think of anything else forever. So thank you for that. Next one is from Ben, ben Keeley. Kylie, I'm sorry. This is like this these QA episodes are when I like remember that I can never be mad at people for mispronouncing my name because I just I'm I'm bad at this. I'm very sorry. Uh at the Jive Master. That I can pronounce. What is the best dish you can only get in Brazil? What is the best Brazilian dish you've eaten in another part of the world? It's funny because I've only really stopped to think about those things recently. Like, I've always been on one of those detached people. They were like, what do you mean miss food? That's bullshit. Just find new food. <laughs> Brazil doesn't even have Diet Coke and maple syrup, so fuck it. Uh, but being somewhere else in Mexico City specifically for months got me missing a few things. Uh, tapioca. Not just the thing itself, because I know, like, it exists everywhere and people put it in tea or whatever. But, like, we do, like, a crepe thing with it. Um, with like hydrated tapioca. I don't know that I haven't been able to find it here. And I found myself like, it's, it's pretty bland. It's just like a white crepe 
pasty thing. Like, I don't know why I find my, found myself craving it, but I did. And we put like stuff in it. And I love it with queijo minas, which is another type of cheese we only get in Brazil. And you can't really transport cheese. Um, so that's been the main thing for me. Uh, pão de queijo, which translates literally to cheesy bread. I can't really explain it, but it's like, it's dough and cheese, like these little balls of doughy cheese. So you have to be like a literal monster not to like it. Um, as for things in general that we have in Brazil that people should try, acarajé, like this spicy cake-like thing with shrimp. Um, feijoada is an obvious choice. Everybody's heard of it, but it's really delicious. But a lot of the options have meat and I'm a vegetarian. So because I missed it before I left and it's very heavy. I didn't even eat it often, but like now that I can't have it, I like, I miss it. I could learn how to make it, but you know, that's an energy expenditure that's just not happening right now in my life. Uh, <laughs> and uh, yeah, I don't, and the second part, I don't think I've ever had a full on Brazilian dish in another part of the world. Uh, but then again, I haven't really been to that many places. Maybe, maybe that's my purpose in life, Ben, to take Brazilian food wherever I go. All I need to know is like learn how to cook and develop a business sense and anything resembling motivation. But, you know, technicalities. Next one comes from Alex Scafidi at Alex Scafidi, S-C-A-F-F-I-D-I underscore. There's spelling again. Yes. What's a movie you want to force at Rodel Campo to watch? Well, Rodrigo, obviously. I, I keep saying his name in so many different ways. I know it's ridiculous, but even to him, like I keep missing it. Uh, to watch, but you haven't yet. That's hard because he's been up for literally everything I threw his way, and I did not hold back. Like my first weekend with him, I just threw the Bridges of Madison County plus an decent proposal combo with a little Moulin Rouge to really tie the whole thing together, and he took it like a champ. Uh, we watched Street Tease together, uh, and actually both of us really enjoyed it. It's highly underrated. Like, it's got dance, intrigue, crime, almost naked Demi Moore. I'd argue you have to be pretty fucking lame not to like it. Uh, I did a story assessing, like, Vendem characters as MMA fighters, and I watched, like, 10 movies, and he watched all of them with me. Um, I mean... But that's like a favorite that if any if everything goes wrong, like this is the legacy of our relationship. You're welcome. Uh, and as the true basic bitch that I am deep down, I'm obsessed with like murder and true crime stuff. And he watches all of it with me. I love extremely sad documentaries. He watches them too. And I even got him to watch Glitter uh, after I was done with the Mariah Carey biography and felt like I needed that to really um, complement my experience. And he put up with me defending the movie for the next two days. So there's that. Having said that, he has been masterfully dodging the 2000 Kirsten Dunst-led classic, Bring It On. He'll say he's cool with watching it. And then like he suggests something else or has a different idea. And I honestly, I can't say I understand the hesitation because it's got romance. It's got comedy. It's got conflict. It's got sports. It's basically the perfect movie, objectively and scientifically. But uh, yeah, once I'm no longer toxic and contagious and we're allowed to be in the same room, we will fix that and Twitter will probably hear about it. Still in the subject of movies, Mike JB at, at Mike JB knows, what movie from years past would you like to see remade or updated? This is gonna sound terrible, but hear me out. 
Sylvester Stallone's Cobra. Like, the character of Cobra is everything I hate. He's very much the kind of guy that every bootlicking, gun-worshipping, punisher, obsessed, insecure, loser, weirdo loves. But at the same time, I feel like the movie is a parody that can be read in a more critical way by a keener eye. And I mean, a remake, of course, in the hands of the wrong director could be awful and the character could be totally weaponized. But in the hands of the right director, the whole narrative could be subverted and become a pretty dope critique. So, or I would just like to think that way to justify my Cobra obsession to myself. Either or, here's an idea, directors of the world who are listening to this. Thank me later. Now, B Firefly at B underscore Firefly underscore asks, I can't think of any question right now. All I want you is that you'll be all right, healthy, happy, sleeping a lot, and no crying at all. That's very kind. Thank you. And that might have something to do with the way I phrased my tweet asking for questions, which was a little, um, a little, you know, cry for help-ish. But in fairness, I was coming off a really rough day, and it's kind of how I roll. It's just part of my personality. I'm very dramatic and make people worry about me all the time. Uh, but she did think of a question. Um, also, John Wick, which character would you like to play the most? Um, maybe I can be Nanu Cobra. I look good in aviators. I may or may not have tried cutting a day-old pizza with scissors once. I've been known to rock a vegan leather jacket and a laid-back, kind of like charmingly misanthropic attitude. So who knows? Director, who's listening to this. Just throwing a bold casting choice out there. Uh, but in all seriousness, well, the seriousness that the subject allows, because obviously I'm not going to become uh, an actress at this point in my life, but I would actually be really cool with playing the comic relief in an action movie. I know everybody wants to be the main character and I will neither confirm nor deny that my entire sense of style is an arguably failed attempt at channeling Alice from Resident Evil, but I would be comfortable with a sidekick that can like kick ass, but also has a sense of humor and the good one-liners. And also that's probably the least physically demanding option. And I feel like once you reach that point in your life where you watch a stunt and think that's gotta be hard on the knees, you gotta really start adjusting your own expectations. This one is, this one, this next one like is really good. A little grim, but uh, listen to the end for my disclaimer. Justin Hartland, uh, at Justin Hartland asked, if there was a Coliseum-like event featuring infamous serial killers of history, who would be the last one standing? It might be recency bias because I just saw the Night Stalker show on Netflix and I'm halfway through a book about him, but I have got to say Richard Ramirez uh, just because he was like very proficient at crime in general, uh, incredibly violent and had absolutely zero fucks to give. Like moral compasses are not really any of these assholes' strength, but he was on another level of detachment to any inkling of humanity. Uh, he could maneuver several weapons. He was fast. He was good at escaping. And I would say there's something inherently dangerous about a man who is thoroughly convinced that Satan is on his side. Um, I feel like most serial killers would get a little flustered once their preferred MO was disrupted, while Ramirez would be able to adapt. But I'm going to uh, throw some regional flavor here and say that Brazil's Pedrinho Matador would be a contender uh, given like 
his prison smarts. And I'll leave it at that. If you want to know more about him, uh, Google it. And, uh, and he's still alive, by the way, and free out of prison in Brazil. Also, and this depends on your definition of serial killer, since he was technically a hitman. Uh, I'd say Richard Kuklinski. Kuklinski. I, I don't know if I got it right. Um, but fuck him. So who cares? Uh, also known as the Iceman. Iceman. Sorry. Big. Also very cruel. Very sociopathic. I think he would be able to outlive quite a lot of people. Um, as a reminder, <laughs> my disclaimer, and I feel like this is a necessary addendum whenever uh, serial killer lore is involved. These are all horrible people who destroyed, destroyed countless lives and should not be in any way glorified or seen as pop culture icons. Um, in case there was any doubt, fuck Richard Ramirez, fuck Pedrinho Matador, and I cannot stress this enough, fuck Richard fucking Kuklinski. Uh, this next one is again from Alex Cafiti. On a scale of 1 to 10, what would you rank this DC's Daniel Cormier's alleged broadcast fart? Um, if the clip that someone sent me in the replies to that question is in fact accurate, and I had my doubts because the sound was like so cartoonish, uh, I'm actually quite impressed. <laughs> Unmistakable sound, good volume, steady and sustained note, like really the effect that fart cushions everywhere aspire to 10 out of 10. Uh, but unfortunately, uh, my narrator and Alice's boyfriend uh, said that they use... Um, the AFC uses mics like the one like the ones that he does for work, and they are very unlikely to pick up on a sound that is that far from a speaker's like actual face. So it's much more likely that the sound, in his opinion, came from a chair squeaking or something than an actual fart. So thanks for ruining it for everyone, babe. Now from No Shoes Mon at No Shoes Mon. If a train leaves Boston heading south at 7 p.m. doing 68 meters per hour and a guy with a piano bike miles per hour. Sorry, we don't do miles in Brazil. So I MPH, that's miles. I don't know, guys. Why do you have to be so weird about your measurements? But this is a subject for another time. Uh, and a guy with a piano bike in Frisco heads west at 4 a.m. Why do people question Fader being the heavyweight goat? Um, I have to acknowledge the form of this tweet because it's amazing. Um, my answer is, I'm just going to go ahead and guess that maybe it's because uh, greatest of all time discussions are pointless and silly and entirely subjective and we're never going to agree on anything ever. Next one comes from GOP Hearts QAnon um, at HP Stir Coffee Shop. Like hipster coffee shop, but without the I and the F and only one F in coffee. Uh, why are vests? Um, I'm okay with vests. I think they can be charming and adapt to an ensemble. But I support your right to stand up against vests if that's your cause. And also that's a good Twitter handle. And therefore you get your question read. I shall contribute to the discourse by asking... Why are espadrille sandals? So, I don't know if that was like an inside joke or a reference that I missed, which is possible, in which case I'm just going to go ahead and sound stupid. But if you've made it this far into this podcast, I would guess that like you have some affection in your heart for me and you won't mock me too much. Abdullah Ayman and 
the Twitter handle is Abu Moha and like a bunch of numbers. Um, what is your opinion on a possible Habib GSP fight this year? How would Habib's grappling and wrestling fare against the men with the most takedowns in UFC history, GSP? In your opinion, whether Gilbert Burns' experience with Hamaru Usman will help in help him next week? Uh, him, now it's this week because they're fighting. Um, I've talked about this before. Like, I'm very much against pushing a retired fighter into unretirement. Like, I'm not a fan of the way that the whole Habib thing has been conducted. I feel like we are very dehumanizing the way we treat fighter retirements. Um, the language that we use, everything is like we're always closing the door on these people and pushing them into hanging up the gloves. And then the minute they actually want to do it, <laughs> we either doubt it or we try to get them back. Uh, we've done it for years with Jespi, and we're doing it now with Habib. Having said that, if it was in their best interest to return and they were compensated accordingly, uh, of course, I'd love to see Habib and Jespi fighting. It's pretty much the one fight for either of them that I would really like to see. It. Um, but I just don't really see it happening. Maybe my skepticism, maybe the fact that we're talking about two retired fighters who would demand a lot of money. So who knows? Uh I I have a tough time seeing Habib struggle with anyone as far as grappling goes, including, in, I wouldn't say out of shape because he never is out of shape, but an older and rustier, I would imagine, uh, GSP. As for the last question on Burns, uh, the main thing for me, uh, which to me in Brazil, we, we just call him Durinho, is that it takes a lot to rattle him. Like he's very self-confident and not in the obvious, like boasting braggadocious way, which to me is actually a lot more convincing. Like he doesn't need to wear that confidence uh, so aggressively. I think the his attitude, the like kind of playful way in which he carries himself might disguise that a bit from what I've but what from what I've seen. Uh, from years of following his career, he's just a hard worker who truly believes in his dedication and his skills. Uh, and that, to me, makes him a dangerous fighter. I always have a tough time, more specifically to address your question, I'm sorry, but I, I, I have a tough time gauging how much shared experience matters because obviously both sides have that. <laughs> that. But I do think it might help doing in this situation because he can, quote unquote, humanize Usman in a way, uh, if that makes any sense. Like, we ha we're so used to seeing like a bulletproof guy in Usman, such an ever evolving, always sound guy who looks pretty unbeatable in my opinion at this point. And Durinho has had an access and a view to him and therefore to like possible shortcomings that previous opponents didn't. And I think that can both be like a strategically, of course, an advantage, but also I think maybe mentally too. Um, Having said that, uh, like I said, Usman also had that access with Durinho, and he's just been such a technically and strategically like solid champion. Um, I have a tough time seeing him lose to pretty much anyone at this point. So I just ramble, but I hope that answers your question. Uh, moving on to Ninja at, at World's Worst Hero. Um, also, a common presence in my replies. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Um, just I don't, I don't know why people are there, but uh, I think it's really awesome that you are. And I just I don't know. That's my really weird way of thanking you. Um, I got one. What is your favorite post-cry meal? Again, 
addressing the important issues of her time. Uh, I personally go for sugary treats because I feel like they're both replenishing and give you that energy boost in case you need to get back in there for like round two. With that in mind, I'm going to say ice cream because you get the instant shot of comfort without the hassle of the chewing. Um, And that means you can enjoy it while there's still some vestigial crying or you don't have to stop enjoying it in case you get your second win and want to resume the crying. You know, you're welcome, science. Stories by Nightmares at Komishav, C-O-M-I-S-H-A-V-1990, asks, you can shrink one fighter down to help police your immune system a la Osmosis Jones. Who are you picking? I don't know where you guys get this. Like, this is so amazing. That's a a beautiful question. You're so creative. Uh, (laughs) This might be a counterintuitive pick, but I'm going with Demetrius Johnson. I feel like the intruders would severely underestimate him. And, you know, between his defensive reflexes and his movement, I think he'd confound the fuck out of the out of the organisms. I would I would feel safe. Like I know I know he's like a smaller individual, but I would feel safe having him there guard my 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 uh immune system, which obviously isn't very good on its own because it's been compromised. Um but if I were to get like a second guardian, like I, I have to add to this question because I really gave it a, like an inordinate amount of thought. <laughs> I would go with Curtis Blades on the basis that there is no person, object or virus on this planet or maybe the entire solar system that cannot be taken down and nullified by Curtis Blades. And this is our last question for the day, also from Stories by Nightmares. What's with Joan Jones, who is already a scary mofo is that I know it's motherfucker, but like that's one question I have. Do you read it as mofo or do you read it as motherfucker? Like that's a language doubt that I have, uh, that I have never inquired my editors about. Um, oh, Jordan, our lovely producer and editor, is answering that mofo is mofo. So, question answered. See, this is this show is also a learning opportunity. Um, yeah, what's with Joan Jones, who's already, who already is a scary mofo, needing attack dogs and bullets of rifles? Like, I said it in replies, and I'll say it again. Like, that's a question for someone with a psychology degree or some sort. I don't want to, like, psychoanalyze a person that I, A, I don't know, and B, like, who am I to psychoanalyze uh, anyone? But uh, it's inter- the theme is interesting for me because I was having that conversation on Twitter the other day, and I mentioned that as a Brazilian, I am a little, like, the whole gun fetish thing is a little different for me. Um, as a side note, the tweet generated some interesting responses, such as, I stopped listening at As a Brazilian um, <laughs> by random guy number one. And you'd think living in Brazil, you'd want to protect yourself by random guy number three. And these are all very uh, interesting, not at all ignorant things to say about uh, a whole country. But I digress. What I meant is that, like, of course, guns are a thing in Brazil and gun violence is a huge problem in Brazil um, and a big part of our current genocidal fascist leaders platform was actually taking one of the few good things about the country and making it worse by loosening gun restrictions. But the whole collecting big ass rifles thing is, I would argue, and if you're a Brazilian listening to, the disagree, to this and disagree, let me know, but like, from my experience... Maybe my urban experience, but uh, it's it's not a major part of our culture as a whole. Uh, it's not something I've been personally exposed to. 
like I think literally the only person in my life that I knew who owned a gun that I knew of was my dad. He had like a single gun and it was a permit and he lived in a like a house that was sort of far away. But, you know, like that's kind of I hadn't even seen it. So he taught me how to shoot, but like with other guns. But I digress. The thing is, you got what I mean. <laughs> uh, it's 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 culturally a little different the way we see like gun collections and stuff like that. So in my mind, it's like you only have two hands and you can only shoot one gun at a time. Maybe two if you're in an action movie. So I don't really understand at a fundamental level why the right to hoard several lethal weapons at home is such a dear cause to so many. But apart from that, which again, I think also carries a sort of cultural element, I am also a little taken aback by some uh, people's need to display like aggressiveness and masculinity in like such an outwardly like in your face way. <laughs> I don't know, Jones and Dutch, uh, the dog, from what I could tell from his Twitter, is very cute. Uh, probably could kill me easily, but uh, cute nonetheless. But um, the whole thing does, and as, as an outsider, look a little, a little excessive. So, yeah, I don't know if that answers your question. Um, but, yes, it's, I guess it's just my way of, of saying that there's a lot being put out into the world in a very abrasive manner. And I don't know what that says. Maybe it doesn't say anything. Maybe you shouldn't listen to me ever. But I guess that's the lesson I've been trying to teach in every podcast. And you're still listening to me, people. So not on me anymore. What can I do? Uh, I actually said that was the last question. But there's one more uh, by Ryan Siskin uh, at Those Drones. I actually still don't know how to pronounce Brian's last name. Um, yeah, he was one of the hosts of the Art Fight podcast. I say was because they're uh, ending the podcast, which is very unfortunate. Um, uh, like it just it was just an interest, a lot of interesting conversations with people and approaching very different perspectives of of the fight game. And I'm not just saying that because they had me as a guest a couple of times, uh, although that is part of it. Um, <laughs> but just. Uh, yeah, just my way of saying goodbye to the podcast, which was really cool. Uh, question, have you ever heard of those people that have a head injury and all they and all of a sudden they can play Rashmaninov? I don't know how to say this, guys. You're making me sound stupid. Rashmaninov uh, on the piano. I'm guessing this is like a very famous musician and I'm very stupid for not knowing him. So uh, in that case, I'm sorry. Uh, which fighter should already be playing concertos? I, I I don't really like it. That's one thing. Like, I don't really like diagnosing fighters with head trauma. I feel like that's just... Uh, and we see it a lot. Like, just yesterday, the very unfortunate details of um, an alleged attack from former uh, Bellator champion Daniel Strauss on his partner. Um, the details leaked and they are horrible. Um, not going to you know, talk about it here, but you feel free to look on MMA fighting, MMA junkie. They have the stories up. And, you know, like the first thing you see when you look at the replies is like people saying, oh, it's CT. CT is doing it. And uh, first off, you can't really uh, definitively diagnose CT on living patients is my understanding. Like you actually need to to take a look at the brain. So, uh, but other than that, like, I feel like it reduces a lot of things. And, you know, you a lot of some people might have brain damage and not be aggressive and not do terrible things. And, you know, uh, it's I'm guessing like there is a lot of other factors into it. It's just such a complicated thing that I I don't really feel comfortable, like just being like, oh, this person has 
brain damage or like flippantly saying it because like it's a really scary, serious, terrible thing. And that's not me lecturing you like at all. Um, it's just a, a part of the discourse that I usually stray away from in general. Um, not to sound like all high and mighty, just like a me thing because I don't feel like I have sufficient information to to talk about this. I do worry about fighters who uh, whose styles involve a lot of damage, um, a lot of you know strikers who maybe aren't the strongest defensively, and we see them through the years uh, maybe talk and sound a little different. We have fighters who have openly talked about this. Like Vanderlei Silva is one of the fighters who had this super brawling, aggressive style and um, came out talking about how, you know, he feared that like he already had some symptoms of brain damage and would like to have his brain studied um, after he passed. So I worry a lot. It's something that's always on my mind. I joked the other day on Twitter that, you know, you, you got like soft when you used to, you know, watch those amazing brawls and be like, ah, yes, it's amazing, gory, just bleed. And then it's like, oh my God, how many years did that just take off this person's life? Like, this is kind of where my brain is at right now. So I don't know if that, it, I know that it doesn't answer your question, but uh, that's just a theme that I don't, I don't know. I don't like to touch on that casually uh but since we're on it um i've recommended this before and i'll recommend it again uh, uh give mma fighting a story on uh spencer fisher a read by Stephen morocco like just such a uh haunting and just really well-made snapshot of the the whole theme and um also tim this story on um david mitchell uh, it's actually a series on Bloody Elbow. There's a ton more, of course, um, but these are like two of the most recent and like big examples that I think that you can really explore that side of things, that they really touched on this uh, in a very delicate and um, impactful way. So, yes, I basically chose to end this on a very sour note and i'm sorry uh but i do appreciate all of you who sent me questions if i didn't read your question uh i'm really sorry it was probably either a time thing or it it, it was something that i didn't feel like equipped to uh, address or just something that would probably make me sound dumb so that's on you for being too smart for me like really reassess that <laughs> thank you all uh yet again for listening thank you who am i gonna thank which random person that i'm gonna thank today i'm gonna thank mariah carey um because not only did she make that amazing autobiography that i basically talk about every show but i don't care because everybody should read it but also because she did this amazing post today wearing a mask and praising science which <laughs> is the bare minimum but uh <laughs> In 2021, it's just an amazing thing that not a lot of people are doing. So, uh, yes, thank you, Mariah Carey, for being a bright spot in dark times. And that is it. Thank you again. This has been the best camp of my life. See you next week. Bye.